I don't know about you, Jim. I'm exhausted. We've been on the road quite a bit. I think it was 22 out of a possible 32 games we've been on the road. And I know that the NHL and criticizing the schedule is not exactly the, uh, um, shall we say, the most preferable thing to do because uh, it's my it's number one. It, it's your number one pet peeve. When oh. I hear someone starting to complain about the schedule, that's when you lose me. <laughs> Isn't it exhausting though? It's cra- it's it's crazy. But yeah. in all honesty, then I have to turn our attention perhaps to, unfortunately, and it's not a criticism of our employer or, or certainly the people that run Staples Center, but the unavailability of dates due to sharing the building with two other sports teams that play in the same season as the NHL puts extreme limitations on the flexibility the Kings have when submitting dates for home games. So then when you have the schedule, you have to live with what you get. We've gone over it before with all the other, you know, but they have to to keep in mind they have Canadian teams and Hockey Night in Canada. They have rivalry games. They have weekend games. They have all-star breaks. They have long, all those types of things. Uh, Saturday nights, Sunday afternoon, a whole bunch of things that you have to keep in mind. But, uh, and I don't know if I have these numbers exact, but I did hear 10 years ago that for one of the seasons, the Kings handed in 46 dates for 41 home games. Oof. So, Oof. so the NHL has no flexibility at all, really, basically to, to try to make it work for the Kings. And, and unfortunately this year, I'm in agreement with you. I, I think. This is taxing, as taxing as I have ever gone through until this point. Not only just this last little run, but just the whole season has mm. been really weird. Yeah. And then, well, we're going to have 14 out of 15 at home. Right. So I think the real solution is uh, to drive down to San Diego and uh, knock on Kawhi Leonard's door and say, hey, can you and the Clippers just um, figure something out and, you know, maybe like play your games at nine in the morning and uh, not have to worry about, uh, you know, scheduling your games when it's convenient for you guys anymore please yeah if the city council in inglewood uh, come to an agreement (laughs) with them i think the kings unfortunately will in age will not have that option coming in what uh, 2024 or so something like that there it's it's definitely uh, out there as as a real possibility Uh, but i will say the upshot of this is uh we're gonna get a month basically at home so there is one upshot and the one thing that has enabled me to get through this stretch is that at least one half of the press meals have included Oreos <laughs> on the menu as part of the dessert. Usually crushed Oreos that you put on top of the soft ice cream. So without that, I don't know if I could have made it. I think they've been listening to the podcast. And with that, we should probably begin. Let's get this podcast underway. From the Yosef Stumple podcast studio in Sh- El Segundo, California. Stumple. Stumple, yeah. Uh, right next to the uh, HR department, actually, we've moved our location here, uh, so we probably probably shouldn't talk too loud or you know, maybe not talk too behind people's backs too much. But it is Fox and Faust, the podcast, uh, episode number 10. On this week's program, on this month's program, we haven't been home for like a month, it feels like, um, what it's like to live through the trade deadline as a player dumb questions from the media and 
Should we get rid of the bye week? These are topics I want to cover. I want to start though with uh, with the trade deadline, and I know this is um, you know right around the corner as we're taping this. It's uh, it's February 11th. Trade deadline is February 24th. This is not easy for anybody involved, and I'm not even going to speak directly for what the Kings are going through when they might ship out six players before the trade deadline. I mean, we're living through that right now, but you lived through this as a player. The, it's not easy to be going to work when your colleagues are going to be shipped out and you know that they're going to be shipped out. When I played trade or the potential for a trade was used many times to motivate a player or to punish a player. I think that happens less and less nowadays because salary cap to a certain extent limits the movability of certain players. Uh, There was more two-way contracts when I played. So now it's basically, I mean, you know, 85% are one-way contracts. So those are, that provide for the player certainly stability. Having said that, there is the human element of the family and wife and kids and that's where it doesn't change. It's on the, It's in the back of your mind. You'd like to think the approach would be this. The best way to get through a trade deadline situation that the Kings are in, because looking to transition to a, a different style of roster, is that the better the player plays, it's better for everyone. It's better for him, because especially if he's an unrestricted free agent next year, because he's building value. And then it's better for the team that will trade that player because then the value goes up. But at the same time, that means you have to have superhuman focus. You have to go over and above, and it is difficult. So I think the approach of the Kings, and I hear it specifically from Todd McClellan, is the way I would approach it. You're not pretending that it doesn't exist. You are throwing it out there. It does exist. And openly talking about it. I think that is the best way. That limits anxiety because it's out there. For players that are in that room and they know that, is there a threshold that you get to when you're like, all right, well, this is just going to happen. I'm accepting it as true. Let's let's take a step back, right? We're in last place, okay? We're last place Western Conference. Probably isn't going to change the rest of the year. So you already know your fate in that way. Can it doesn't that make it easier to show up and do your job and go to work and and put in a solid effort, knowing that all right, we we've already crossed. <laughs> There's no question that there are going to be trades made anymore. It's not like this is a fringe team, maybe a playoff contender. We know what's going to happen. Everybody does. I think that players will not say what I'm going to say publicly, but I assume there are some players that would not mind a change because of the situation the Kings are in with the rebuild and the transition. And you know, depending on where they are in their career, do they want a couple more years of retooling a roster, being part of that? I know publicly, everyone always says, yes, I want to be here. I don't want to be moved. But I would have to think that some portion of those players also look at a bigger picture, uh, the business aspect, the career aspect, and they look at the potential for the. They just look ahead, short-term planning, two to three years ahead. Do they still want to be here, or do they want to be perhaps 
I assume some of the players we're talking about are they're attractive to teams that are knocking on the door for another Stanley Cup. And they would be added as a support piece, a depth piece. And sometimes they wouldn't mind that. I look at it too from the standpoint of you know younger guys that are looking to get an opportunity. If you're in, in the AHL with any club that might be moving a player out of the organization, aren't you thinking, well, this is my opportunity to ratchet it up because I know my chance is coming. I know that this audition is going to happen. I mean, Cal Peterson, we already know, is goalie of the future for the LA Kings. But I'm thinking of other guys like Matt Luff, who's in Ontario for the LA Kings. A guy like Carl Grundstrom, who was recently called up to the team. Uh, isn't that an opportunity if you're kind of a bottom six to audition when this is taking place? I think even some of the kids that we're going to see the rest of the season – the ceiling is not bottom six, it's top six, and it's top pair defensemen or top four defensemen. It's not happening as it exists right now, but when you're looking forward and projecting the ceiling of those players, I would assume at minimum for every player that goes out, there will be one young, young, young player coming up from Ontario that will get that audition. And you have, I think you also have to look at it this way. The Kings, if they have a player with, who's going into an unrestricted free agent, you're, you're, getting, you're getting a feel from the player's agent. What do they expect in the future? If those expectations do not fit your, your boilerplate going forward, then you have to make that move. And it gives you the opportunity to put a young player in a position where, let's say, let's just even say 10 to 12 games where that player will play without the worry of being sent back down to the minors. They will be given an opportunity. It's not going to be because the, the importance of winning is not as important as if you were in a playoff race. You can actually take a look at those players. If you're late in a game, you don't have to put Kopitar on the ice. You can put someone else on the ice and really get a true read. I've been talking about it all season long, in my mind, when I'm watching these players, and I know we're losing a lot of games, and I'm looking to establish in my mind what I believe will be the true ceiling for that player, the highest point they can possibly get to two years out, maybe three years out. So I have to see, I have to see, like we saw in a recent game uh, in, at Madison Square Garden, Nikolai Prohorkin make a power move a power move to the net. Have we seen that enough? No. If you see that once a game, he's an, he's an NHL player. And you can live with that. And get it once a once game. A game. Yeah. You see that once a game, he is an NHL player. If you don't see it once a game, he will be given that opportunity to show it. And if you don't see it, then your analysis of the ceiling goes down. Do you ever worry about getting traded? Yes, I worry about it all the time. Uh, my personality is like that. I am very anxious. You are a worry worth. So I do. And that's something that, that now I don't uh, in my daily life or my work that I have now, I worry less about that. Uh, Jim, you're not being traded from the broadcast crew, I can assure you. In, in all honesty, if I can be completely honest, sure. I was always worried about the embarrassment that the team didn't want me. I never thought of it the way of, oh, there's a team that does want me. They want to improve their team. They think I'm going to... I always felt that 
if I was traded, in my heart, I would say I was embarrassed that I, I'm not attractive enough to that team to keep me. Uh, and that's, that's a very negative way of looking at things, but that's the way my mind worked. You have to work on that. You know, sports psychologists, psychiatrists, you work on things, you try to think things through. And I think now I'm in a different spot, different place, and I worry less about those types of things. But when I was playing, can you imagine the nervous energy I was oh. burning before oh. the game even started? Before you, the game you burned, even started. You burn enough nervous energy worrying about ice cream, let, exactly. let alone before right. getting a game when you might be yeah. traded. Because if it's too creamy, you know, it's not good enough. You need to have a little ice in there. Right. We had a, how, what was this intense, we had an intense discussion in Carolina Raleigh. about the ice cream. I there. thought it was fake. I thought it was chemicals. <laughs> I thought it was non-ice cream. Maybe it was just, just too creamy. It was unnaturally creamy. That was what threw everybody off there. I think if it sat in the plate for four hours, it would still be the same <laughs> configuration as it was when you put it in that plate. It would not move at all. It's still tasty, though. I just, maybe to each their own on that. All right, I, I want to move on a little bit here. There was a, an incident. Uh, well, maybe incident's a strong word. Uh, there was a curious case in Buffalo a couple of days ago. Uh, Sam Reinhardt. Back-checking, not hard enough in the eyes of a media member. Um, and he got questioned because a goal was scored on him during the game. He was walked during the game, as, as the case may be. And after the game, one of the local media went up to him and said, why didn't you back-check on that play? A long shift on Detroit's second goal. But, I mean, is that the kind of back-checking this team needs? play clearly looked like you stopped and almost quit on <laughs> Do you think that I don't play? think I don't think I'm going to value that question right now. Do you think you backchecked on that play the way you need to? I'm not going to value that question right now. I mean, that's a legitimate question, isn't it? It looked like you I'm, stopped. I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to get into it with you right now. Why not? Next question. I, I want to dive into this a little bit here because we see it on a daily basis that there's an interesting relationship. I think fans have a view that well, the media is. Uh, you know they're out to ask the tough questions. They're out to, ask, to keep players accountable. I, I'm I want this guy to ask why weren't you back checking on this? But we live it on a daily basis, and yes, we're team employees. It's a little bit different for us. You know we have to massage relationships a little bit more. But even with the print reporters we encounter, I I have a lot of respect for reporters that are tough but fair. Right? That will go and ask, what did you think of that play? Or, um, you know, what transpired on that play? What happened, right? Give me the, the how, what, and why. And then you as a writer can go and write whatever you want, you know. And it's your prerogative. That's your job. You have the medium to do it. But it strikes me as irresponsible when you go after somebody in that room and you have no idea what they're dealing with or what they're going at. You've, you've talked about this in the past, Jim. You hate criticism of effort out there. Yes, but if I can, and I think I'm going a completely different way than you thought I was going to go, I'm going to offer up something as far as media training 101 for Mr. Reinhardt. I was caught on an extended shift. I was out there way too long. My legs were not moving. If I could do it again, I would have made a change earlier because I don't want to get stuck in that position. Uh, I was giving the effort as much as I possibly could, but I was much too tired to be effective on that shift. Another way is, I feel really bad that I was caught in that position. 
Uh, I should not have been that tired at that point. Another way of doing it. Our team is not performing this year as well as we can, and I have to be a better example to my teammates. I have to be in a better position, and I have to make sure that there are no excuses whatsoever. I cannot get caught in that situation and be depilitated by my fatigue. As far as the effort question, I was giving 100% of what I had at the time. Unfortunately for me and my team, I didn't have enough to give. That's interesting because I think this is the reverse of how this, at least when I was walking in here, this is the reverse of how I thought this discussion was going to go because I'm usually the type of person that says, I want accountability. I want somebody to answer for something, um, you know, to stand up and be accountable, be in the locker room on a daily basis and be asked questions, even right. if, there are, if, they, if they are uncomfortable. You're paid millions of dollars, right? As a professional athlete, you should answer for that. But I also see that when you ask combative questions, you're going to get combative answers, and it's tough to build relationships that way. But that's an interesting take. So you would you would look at it from Sam's perspective of maybe not biting on you know being angry, maybe not being as defensive, and just giving him, hey, I didn't give my all, I own it. That would be your preference. Okay, well, I think except he did give well, it. His sorry, all. that was a bad. So, so yeah. that I was I was fatigued. Right. I, I had. It was not my best shift. Yeah. I'm owning that. Mm-hmm. It, so you, that would be your preference. And we've the reason I feel, I think the writer there did live up to my standard of criticizing effort because he named the player and gave the specific example of where he felt the player was not giving effort. So you were okay with it. Because of what I just said. Yeah. I, I think a general thing we hear all the time is we got out work tonight. Uh, this guy outworked that guy. Uh, you know, we hear it, the criticism from many people, from media, from fans, from coaches. We just got outworked. We weren't working hard enough. I'll, well, when I hear that, I also want to hear which player was not working specifically and in what example did you see where you made that determination that he was not working? And the writer gave that those things right there in his question. Talking to the player he felt was not giving the effort and gave the specific play in which he felt he came to that conclusion. So for that reason, I have no problem with that. I think Sam can still get out of it. I think he can still. I think he can still be the bigger person here. I think he still can, even if it came out today, which would be what a week after or five days after. He, you know, I've thought it over, uh, and it's just something that, in the course of a game, and especially at that time of the game, I can't be caught there. Uh, it's something that we talk about all the time as a team. I don't felt I let my team down because I can go back into that room. My teammates know I give everything I have. They see me in practice every day working as hard as I possibly can. I just put myself in a position that I have to learn and make sure that I and my teammates don't put themselves in the future. Do you think that works in a market like Buffalo and may not work somewhere else? Because maybe it's because I'm just so used to what we have here in L.A. now where we have a small media contingent and it's the same people over and over. Um and we don't have, I mean, we, Helene Elliott from the LA Times is probably the most prominent columnist who comes to our games. But other than that, we, we don't have a lot of columnists or folks that are writing pieces right. beyond the game stories that might capture something like that. With Helene, she asks the tough questions. Mm-hmm. She puts the time in. She's there. She watches. And if she does have a tough question, she is there the next day too. 
she's not going to run away. Uh, we have, so, you know, Lisa Dillman covers the team, experience with hockey, been around for so long. Uh, and, and I know for everyone that does cover our team, and we have daily conversations. And, but to me, Jack Harris, 21 years old, this guy is a phenom. I mean, really, the way he carries himself, I am in awe of someone who has that little experience but I believe understands the big picture. Now, he is writing more of the, the personality stories, the big picture stories, not the game stories. Uh, and I think you don't probably don't have to ask uh, difficult questions in that. You can ask a whole bunch and then you can come to, where after a game, I, sometimes you have to get right to it, right? You don't have the option of you know, asking eight questions. You got one or two. Uh, just really interesting to see a, a young gentleman like him Man. He's outstanding. He's talented. Yeah. Talented. And beyond reading the stories, it's questions that are asked. And that's why that's why I bring this up a little bit because this is a different market in LA. And I had a conversation um, with a writer from a from a different city about you know the differences between LA and somewhere else. And it was brought up to me that in a market like LA, especially when you are a team like the Kings, okay, terrible season, and you're in last place, you're drawing fewer fans, et cetera, et cetera, right? To bury them further in the local paper. Like, the paper almost acts acts as a partner in that way. That, all right, they're not trying to sell tickets, mind you, but it's one of their local brands that when the team turns around, when they start playing well again, well, we also, we, we want to show, hey, we've been there and we've been, uh, you know, writing and profiling this team and not just kicking them when they're down because that's easy. And you also take a look at it from a civic perspective. If you had a columnist that wrote all the time about why L.A. sucks in the L.A. Times, people would get sick of it. People would stop reading that columnist. Why would you want to hear all the time about why your place, your team sucks? We live it every day lost 13 and 15 coming into Wednesday night's game against Calgary. We live that every day. Do we need somebody kicking the team when they're down? So I think in this market, it it works in that way. In New York, with football specifically, hockey's a little different animal in New York, but with football in New York, or with baseball in New York, they hit them hard. Because that's just part of the culture, and people will show up you know, regardless. There are Thousands and thousands of Mets fans that will happily read some columnist ripping their team because that's almost what they want to hear sometimes. And Philly is known for that too, oh, right? Oh, Philly's, yeah. Now, oh. I get the feeling that Chicago is not. I get the feeling that Chicago is the other way around. Yeah. At least with their electronic media, it seems like their their local teams have a kind of a, a homer type of, yeah. you know. And they, every market is different. Mm-hmm. You know, on Twitter, I take some criticism or I take a lot of people that or give me some compliments. Uh, but what I'd like for people to think about is that the market that I'm in, I think I think I would be a different broadcaster if I was broadcasting in Toronto mm-hmm. as opposed to Montreal, as opposed to Tampa, as opposed to Los Angeles, as opposed to Glendale, Arizona. Uh, the market probably affects the way you communicate right. to your viewers that are watching. I'm going to pull back the curtain even from my perspective and say if we were in a market that 
you know, we, we felt was a little bit harsher towards their teams, just in general. You don't see people boo the Dodgers. You don't see people boo the Rams. It's just not part of the sporting culture in this city. Whether that's good or bad is up for you to decide. But you just don't see that as much in this city. So when I'm watching a baseball game from the East Coast, they might be on a team broadcast, more likely to rip into their team, even though they are team employees. That That's just part of the culture. And I think here... Not that we're, you know, told, oh, don't don't say anything bad about the team. We're actually sometimes encouraged to, hey, you know, they're not playing so well. We want we want you to explain why they're not playing well. But I think just following the culture here in LA, I, I don't think ripping the team every single night is a productive use of our time. And also again, again, I this year, I think I've been doing this long enough to before the season starts come up with a, an educated assessment of the true expectations of the group. And this year, I felt the Kings would be exactly where they are. So that does affect my approach when I'm doing a game. It does. Again, I'm looking for the ceilings of players, knowing that the, the game is not going to be won. Each individual, we're going to lose most of the games. But I'm trying to see which putt piece is going to be part. Uh, is this kid going to be part of the puzzle as we go forward? What's going on there? At what position? Those are. I know that we're losing the games, but one thing I have not done, I think, and maybe and I assume some people are not happy with it. I don't get mad at them. I think that is so counterproductive to get mad. If you are a fan, I think it's your right, and I think it's your obligation to get mad. Right. I, I would almost be okay yeah. if you were to boo. If we're losing five one at home and you start booing, I'd be like, yeah, that's that's justified. You know, okay, get I mad. It. Yes, please. Yeah. Open that window. Yeah. Yeah. Stick your head outside. But man, I, you know, yeah. that thing. And, and it, I see a, a an interesting comparison to the way coaches apply mm. themselves now compared to when I played. When I played, they did get mad at you, and they did take you into a room, and they unleashed on you, and then they kept you in the dark. They didn't talk to you. They had the silent treatment. They had the loud treatment. Now, what can we do to help you get out of the slump? What can we do to help you be better on the forecheck? What can we do to help you defend in the zone? Defend? They don't. They te- they show you your your mistake, but they don't get mad. They try to be correcting and helping and aiding. That's what they're trying to do. And I think that's kind of, you know, it's, my, my approach is to uh, to make sure once the puck drops, I think we I'm as critical as anyone on breakdowns and mistakes. Uh, but overall, my expectation for the group is that they weren't going to do well in the standings. So I have to taper. I believe I taper my commentary based on that. And that will change from year to year to year. You go back to the 12 and 14s. And I was pretty hard on them because I felt at 12, like, you know, before the season started, I said, I will not be surprised if the Kings win the Stanley Cup. And he said, I don't think they're a favorite, but I won't be. Well, all year long, now I'm looking. And they weren't good until the very end. So you're looking for all these things. Um, and, and that's, and the coaches, again, I, I'm go, I don't know why I'm going back to the coach, but there's a lot of coaches who nowadays feel when the team's doing well, that's when you get on them. When they're not doing well, that's when you back off. That's why it's been interesting to see how Tampa's responded to a year in which last year they were just phenomenal. And this year, all right, well, they've had good stretches, but we know John Cooper's been hard on them. I, I want to keep yep. moving on here. we got a couple quick hitters that I wanted to get to. Uh, first of all, news item uh, you brought up to me, Jim, uh, Olympic participation. We talked about that on the podcast. We, we actually outlined the issues of uh, it's more the marketing rights than it is 
the the fees and the insurance and whatnot. And I know that that was a recent development that came out. Just uh, you know, an, an initial report that the IIHF and the IOC seem to be leaning towards the fact that yes, they should be paying more and they should open up the marketing rights. You brought it up so well earlier on a podcast where you cannot use replays. The NHL cannot. So a lot of people say they should be at the Olympics because it promotes the game worldwide and it's a chance to increase what's going on. It makes the NHL product that much more attractive. Well, believe me, if the studies showed that the NHL profited and were more attractive after Olympic Games, they would be in every Olympic Games. The studies have shown that does not happen. A big part of that is when you go home at night and watch the replays, you can't see anything. There's nothing. The NHL, NHL Network, they can't show these things because of the, the handcuffs put on them. If that opens up, and it's interesting. So now you have the NHLPA and the NHL also as part of this same negotiation. Who holds the biggest uh, card right now? I say the NHL because the PA will lean towards doing it. I think the NHL as a group will lead towards not doing it. The PA, though, is only representing 10% of their players in this, though, because the other 90 don't get a chance to play. I think that the true wild card factor here is this. China, a market that right now is untapped as far as the NHL goes. And I think we all realize on a worldwide global basis, it's a market that is starting to really take over. So if you can tap into that, I think that changes the mind of the NHL and the NHLPA. Even just a small percentage. And that that may be the, the part of unlocking the video and marketing rights that we don't even see here in the States. It, you'll notice it whenever you watch a documentary on hockey that talks about Olympics, at least in the last 10, 15 years, you don't see any video. It's all still footage. Mm -hmm. it, when you're in an arena and you're looking, oh, oh, you know, this guy's a, you're honoring for a thousand games, right? You play a little video tribute. When they're looking at the Olympic stuff, it's all still photos. So that's what will change over time. I think the IOC actually realizes, and this will be my last on this one because I know we have to go or at least move to the next is that the IOC probably sees a positive that the NHL can bring to them. Mm -hmm. It's one of the few times the sport can bring, you know, the IOC, the Olympics are the the ultimate. I think they can be even better with the help of the NHL. Yeah, no doubt. It, uh, and especially in a market that is not as uh, used to hockey participation in China. Um, one thing I saw recently as well, um, GMs are considering mandatory risk guards for next year. And this follows up a discussion we've had with Alec Martinez, who got uh, cut pretty badly on his wrist. I mean, it is gnarly. Um, I, <laughs> you know how Alec can be. He's very deadpan, but I don't even know how he was able to keep a straight face talking with us based on the trauma that he underwent. I, I think he was a little emotional when he was yeah, talking about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but I asked him, do you want that? And he said, no. It's a fluke injury. And yeah, it happened a couple times this year, but it's a total fluke injury. But now GMs are considering making this stuff mandatory, like a, a sleeve that would go up almost to the palm of your hand that would protect you in that area where it is exposed occasionally to sharp objects. What do you think? Uh, I, I'm always in the camp of the athlete should be the final determination of whether you're going to do that. Having said that, if I'm an employer and my players are missing time due to something I can prevent, I'm looking into it very seriously. All you need is a buffer period. I think you need enough time for players to get used to it. So again, you would announce it now. It would not take effect until a year from now or maybe two years from now. 
So you give the players at least that time to get used to that type of equipment. I've never been a fan of the idea that players, some can wear a visor because they're grand and some don't have to because they're grandfathered in. Make everything standard. If we're going to have rules, it should apply to all players at all times. Sure, make it a gradual period with, okay, it's going to start for the when Seattle comes into the league, 21-22, this is all mandatory. Start getting used to them now. These guys are professionals. They can get used to it. Yes, they can. I, I'm Again, I, I lean the other way. I lean towards the, the person, the athlete, having the opportunity to pick the equipment that he uses. But I also do, again, so I get an eye injury now. That was prevent. Now that doesn't happen. That's going to go away too, right? Because of visors. But you know, a lot of things. We always have to come back to the liability issue. The, the legal <laughs> liability issue is yeah. okay. Could a visor reasonably have protected that player if that's the case? And you look at it that way. But again, if I'm the employer, it goes back to helmets in warmups. Mm, yeah, doesn't happen very much, and it's still players get don't have it. But you know, the puck comes off the crossbar, nicks the guy in the head in the corner. If he had a helmet on, he would be able to play that game. Can't play because there's a 12-inch gash in his head in the warm-up. Falls on the ice during the warm-up, hits his head. All the- So there's little things like that that I think will be buttoned up. Last one I've got, and then we'll take some questions. Um, we've seen some injuries coming out of the, the bye week and the yeah. All-Star break. Connor McDavid, some knee trouble, although that dates back to last year, but it's flared up again. Steven Stamkos has been out uh, a game or two recently. Drew Doughty, his first practice. This is, an, this is the King's Ironman, 460-plus consecutive games without leaving the lineup in the regular season. His first practice after the bye week gets hurt. We talked about this coming out of the bye week. This felt too long. We were off for 10 days. We had the five-day break. The couple days for the all-star break where player activities are out there. And then there were three practice days, which may have been a quirk in the schedule. But it felt way too long this time around. It did not feel too long to me, Alex, when I buried number nine at (laughs) at the stadium course at PJ West. Now, it did not feel long at all. I I I was I was a little bit going batty because it was a little bit too long, uh, too much time off. I do know this that the teams and each team's fitness departments look at that element as a completely different part, and they have a specific plan to make sure the players are not going to be rushed back in when they come back in. It has to be a little bit slower. I, I'm in agreement with you. I think they will look at the 10-day breaks and try to get them down to right. a five-day break. Uh, I know it's nice how they do it. They attach it along with the all-star break, with your five-day break, and that makes it a 10-day break or 12, you know, depending on what happens. Uh, I think they will look at that. They already have made adjustments, as we know in the past, where teams that had the break were playing teams that didn't have the break, and it was like 90% win for the team that did not have the break right. because your, your body has to go through readjustment to get back up, up I, to speed. I don't like the idea of attaching it to the All-Star break. Now, I benefited greatly in a personal sense yes. from this long break because I, I got to go to Australia and cover the tennis down there right. in Melbourne. But, uh, boy, you know, I'd be, uh, I'd be more than happy to give that up to have a few more yeah. days during the regular season, yeah. and I'm sure the trainers and the strength staffs would love that as well. Or about a five and a five. Sure. Two five-day breaks. And I think maybe, uh, again, that's where, again, scheduling becomes more difficult right. and a whole bunch of things. But, you know, I, I agree. I think that everyone is looking at it perhaps being too long and then expecting the athlete to get back up to speed in three days and play in the game, and uh, that's very difficult. I think the Christmas break is probably about the, the perfect length. Now, granted, these guys can't really take a vacation to Cabo in the middle of the Christmas break, 
but it's three days. So if you want to go home, if you want to go see somebody, see some family for that holiday, you can. It's just a short turnaround. I did it. I, I went back. I saw my family in New York, left on Christmas Eve, saw them Christmas Day, came back Boxing Day. You can do it if you really want to. You can only do it, Alex, because you have the nutritional value of Johnny's Pizza. <laughs> That's and when you get Johnny's, right. you have the pizza, you go, boom, yeah, fuel up, and you're right back ready I don't, to go. I don't load it up with onions. I don't know Ooh. what you were thinking on that. Hold on. That's a, a, that's a sticking point with me. I asked for onions. I did not load up you, the onions. I did not put the onions when, on the pizza. When you go to a New York pizza shop and you ask for a topping, you, have, you, you get whatever you get, man. You, you can't be picky about, well, I got some more onions that I wanted. You asked for onions, you got onions. This was your fault. I never complained about the amount of onions I received. I do. You did. Because it was gross. You complained about my pizza. I did because it was gross. Pepperoni's fine. Onions, not so much. All right. Let's take some questions here. Um, Eric Gazin asks, and I'm going to paraphrase because he's got a pretty long one. If you're privy to any sort of juicy hockey stories that um, maybe now you'd be able to divulge after... uh, after some years of uh, maybe like the non-disclosure agreement goes away of, uh, of some kind. Do you have any off the top of your head? Jim Fox, not Jim Bouton. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, you know, it's, I think, I think the farther you get away from your playing days, the more you think about things. And I think you become a little bit freer to speak about uh, ex-teammates and things of that sort. Uh, but uh, no, and, and actually like currently as a member of the media, I hear things all the time, uh, and sometimes this happens, and I, I swear, I've been, you know, it's prefaced by, you can't tell anyone, I'm going to, and I say, don't tell me. <laughs> Just don't tell don't I don't want to know. Place. You know why? Because then I don't want to be a slip at a, at a party, uh, I know, I don't want to, you know, oh, and then it comes out, and before, no, there's some things I don't need to know. Uh, and there are some times, I'll tell, Larry Robinson was the head coach here pretty good friends with Larry he'd bring me back and start talking about guys you know and it's things and I'm going in my I'm trying I'm trying to and at the end I said Larry is this all on the record and he goes all on the record I didn't use all of it I was in my own mind going through things that I felt you know what uh, I think for the best of myself for the best of the team for the best of Larry perhaps uh, we could keep it a little bit quiet that's just an opinion that's just a, a decision I made and do it. All I know is I cannot repeat a single word that Gary Galley has told us um, <laughs> when there are alcoholic beverages involved because there are a lot of stories told in confidence that uh, I don't think are repeatable. Well, if you're saying there are, when there's alcoholic <laughs> beverages involved, then I cannot repeat anything. <laughs> That's very true. I talked to Gary Galley. So. That's very true. You guys have like a, a, a week of, of this in La Quinta every summer. I need to get in on this. It's just, uh, it's a, Terry Lynn, uh, Gary's wife, my wife, Susie, uh, we, I'll say this, the galleys know how to travel. <laughs> they know how to travel. He's great. Uh, yeah, I look forward to the next time we get to catch up with, uh, with Gaga. All right, one more and then we'll, uh, we'll step aside. Uh, Jim, this is from Hawk Pilot 9. Jim, why are you dignifying all these troll comments on Twitter all the time? I'm sure that it can't be your job to defend L.A. King's management all the time. You shouldn't be giving these people the time of day. Uh Uh-huh. I think I should give any King's supporter the time of day. 
I think that there are times where I can offer another viewpoint. I don't always defend. I think I do 90% of the time, but I don't always defend. Uh, I understand the frustration. I try to add a point of view that hopefully describes a process, something that is planned out that may not work, but at least there's a lot of thought given to it, and I try to present those things. Uh, you know me a little better, so sometimes I try to advocate for one position that I may not believe in, but I become the devil's advocate. And I also do believe, honestly, that any talk about the Kings in hockey is good. You know, let's let's get it out there. Let's talk it out. There are some on Twitter that are disrespectful. And usually I respond once and that's it. If I find that someone has, even if I don't think their points are valid, but they're showing respect, that's the way they truly believe and they can present it without, without ripping somebody, then I have no problem whatsoever talking and going with them and, and, and trying to go back and forth. And then there's sometimes you go back and forth three or four or five times. And then at the end I say, you know, good talk. Time to put it to bed. Let's go. But uh, that's I, I. You know, they're they're king, some are Kings fans. I think most of the ones, the trolls as they call them, I think are not. Uh, you know, because I'm just I'm just going and sometimes you go on their profile and see ducks. Okay, yeah, exactly. I, I know I know what they're doing, but I still believe they need a response. Yeah, I, I have no problem with that as long as I have time. There's a lot of depending on what's going on. I think during the the break, I didn't respond anyway. Well, it's my time off, but. During the season, I'm on. I want to respond as much as I can. I, I've responded less intentionally just because I think I, I got myself in trouble sometimes uh-huh, responding uh-huh. to people. But I, I was at uh, Royal High School in Simi Valley uh, yesterday and uh, did a talk with some high school students there. And uh, you know, one of the questions came up of, you know, what do you do when people don't like your work? And quite honestly, I, I turned the uh, the discussion towards this sort of thing of interaction on social media in a day in an age like this and the the way that I look at it is I love sharing different perspectives and I actually kind of I I ask of folks to think a little bit differently much like you even if I don't fully believe in a certain position so when it comes to uh, superstitions and jinxes and whatnot we joke about that because it's like I was just watching the Beanpot Championship last night as well, and you better believe that I was uh, yelling at the people at our table, dude, you left the table and they scored, you jinxed it. But it's it's all in good fun, right? I think it, when it crosses the line to, oh, we actually believe that you need to stop saying certain words because they have a direct impact, that's when I will yeah. challenge you to say, hmm, let's think about this for a moment, and are we really rational here about this? So that that's what I'll say about that. Yeah, I, I say this. My job is the analyst. 90% of the time I speak, I am offering an opinion, right? I'm, I'm analyzing a play. That's my opinion. And for me to expect that everyone will agree with my opinion is unrealistic. I'm sure there's some coaches that would, and again, during a broadcast, I don't have a chance. I've got 30 seconds to do this. So I've got to pick. In my mind, I'm already going through things. I'll focus on this. I'll prioritize this. On a play in hockey, there's probably 10 breakdowns before the puck ends up in the net. But you, you don't get that time to do that. You get to, but again, when I talk, 
90% of the time, it's opinion. And I, it would be unrealistic for me to think that everyone agrees with that. I think I can offer a technical assessment of what's going on that maybe I have a little bit more information on than other people that don't know what the system is or don't know what the rule of thumb is. Um, but uh, that's why, and, and maybe play-by-play, play, man, pro, you know, 75% of the time you're talking, you're, you're calling the game. You're, if you're not offering an opinion. You are actively trying to give the fan at home an op, you know, opportunity to get in on the excitement and understand who is making what happen. Uh, so completely different things, and I think the analyst is out there for more criticism, and uh, rightly so. I've been told that I need to inject a little bit more personality into shows. So if you hear me veer off in that direction, don't think it's because I'm trying to stop doing play-by-play. It's because it's kind of been nudged to say, hey, you know, you're you're part of the organization. Like, live a little. When If the telecasts are different this year, it's because the import of the win is not as important as it was before. And believe me, if we're in games in a season where we're going to be challenging for a playoff spot, we will stick more to the hockey. <laughs> no no question. But, you know, that's not the case this year. And maybe that does offer an opportunity to go somewhere else. And it does offer you the opinion to offer incorrect opinions on uh uh, ice cream or pizza or any other food item that uh, that we disagree on. So uh, with that, I think it's time to say goodbye. The time that I put onions on ice cream is the time you can you can <laughs> really really critique. I've seen you do some weird things with ketchup, so I wouldn't put it okay. past you. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Hit that subscribe button, and uh, we will see you next time. We're going to be playing a lot of home games lately, so we should have a few more episodes for you. Thanks for listening. Bye.